You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matiash, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode seven. We have septupled our episode output. Seriously, you're going to continue with that, aren't you? Yep. All right. <laughs> so, Sharky, what yes. we're going to be talking about on this episode, do you want to know? Tell me. Enlighten me. I can't wait to hear about it. Okie doke. Listen, I've noticed it. Other people have noticed it. We want to have a, a heart-to-heart about your anger management, about the slowness of Adobe Lightroom. So let's talk about that. You know, have, have you been a bit too, bit too hard on Adobe? I don't know. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. I personally don't think so, but we'll get into that. Yeah. And what else are we going to talk about? And so this is kind of a, a, a one I'm excited about. And so it's, it's a really big one, but we're going to talk about the kind of state of the industry and what are the current trends that you and I are seeing in the kind of convergence of photography and technology. I think it's a good topic. We could probably do a whole show easily on either of those easily because my anger for Lightroom runs deep. Yeah. And uh, so tell, tell us about it. What, where did this come from? When did this start? How long has it been going on for? I probably should have prepared and found out exactly when. But this goes back to the early days, even pre-Petapixel Photography Podcast. Wow, I got that plug in quick, didn't I? That was nice. like a minute and a half in. Nice. Zoom. Done. But um, before I did the Petapixel Photography Podcast, plug number two, I did the Lens Shark Photography Podcast, which eight months later ended up morphing into the Petapixel one. And early number on, number three, yes. Early on, I talked about how slow Lightroom was. Now, back then, I had, uh, which I still have now, and I'm going to upgrade my uh, my iMac here soon. I've got a mid-2015 iMac, 27-inch iMac, like 32 gigs of RAM. It was the best money could buy at the time. And yet, Lightroom was, you know, it's either turtle or snail slow. It was back then. It certainly is now. And it wasn't just me. I think it was like October of 2015. I started, and I'm sure they didn't appreciate this. Well, I heard from a couple of people they didn't. I started the hashtag on Twitter, rewrite Lightroom. You did? I did. So this was almost two years, like what? No, two years ago this month. So two years ago, I was calling for the rewriting of Lightroom. And I got so much crap from people about that. And people tell me, yeah, Adobe, they're not so happy with, with what you're uh, you're doing here. And that was just a little podcast. And then when I came over to Petapixel, especially, you know, larger audience, more visibility and stuff. But I think most people have come along. And I was on This Week in Photo, TWIP. I don't know. It was maybe a year and a half or so ago. Actually, no. I, well, I had talked about it. But Dave Dugdale, I don't know if you know Dave Dugdale. Great guy. Yep. Learningvideo.com. Give him a plug. He's awesome. He was on with Frederick and, and someone else. Sorry, someone else. Can't remember who you were. He was saying, I remember you talking to Sharky James, talking about how slow Lightroom was. And Frederick said it was just fine for him. And Dave made the point, like using like small files or what? Like, because if you right. if you use a modern camera, and we talked about this before, 24 megapixels, 36, especially on up. Listen, back in the day, even with my 12.1 megapixel D700, it takes too long to go from photo to photo. It should render the darn photo as you're going. If it's taking multiple seconds to arrow through the different photos to consider if you have a thousand photos and it's taking three seconds each time, that's 3000 seconds. I don't know how many minutes that is, but that's a lot of minutes. That's wasted time. Lightroom is so darn slow and it just is. And you can, it's demonstrable. 
You can actually monster it. No, you can demonstrate it. Yeah. And, and we talked about this in episode two where people were complaining about or that, you know, people would spend money on new camera gear with these, you know, higher megapixel count and which gives you higher file size. And but then they don't consider the the downstream effects of needing a more powerful computer. But I don't necessarily think it's just the computer. And I, I, I so in other words, I, I agree with you that it's Lightroom. You know, they've made some small changes here and there, bringing some tools to the to the GPU, the graphics processing unit. But for the most part, like you said, you know, we are moving with the times we we're we're upgrading our cameras and getting bigger, badder files. But our damn our digital asset management of choice, which is Lightroom, man, it, it not not just left and right stuff like the toggling between images, but just going through the modules like from a library to, to develop is torturous. So, you know, I don't know. I, I know you kind of like have this thing and this is the problem where when a company like Adobe, where they, they take their time or at least the, the impression that they're taking their time, people start to speculate, right? It's not the impression they've actually, t- I mean, listen, if I've been hammering them now for this Christmas, will be three years since I launched that old show. If I've been hammering them for lovingly hammering them for three years now, They've taken too long. There's all these companies that have come up, MacFun with Luminar, which is great, by the way, and digital asset management's coming to it this year, I believe, and all these Capture One Pro 10 and all these other options. If all these options have not only grown up, but you know, ones developed that weren't there before because they saw an opportunity, that's a problem. And Adobe makes record amounts of billions of dollars. They just announced for Q3, they exceeded expectations of their earnings. Yeah, you know, they've got everyone on the subscription model. And I would argue that part of that, their responsibility to us is to keep things moving along. If you're making billions of dollars, why can't you hire the best of the best and have them rewrite? Well, I hear you and I hear both here, they're rewriting it. That's obvious. We are hearing that. I mean, there those are rumors, and they can't just patch it. The code is is is, is crazy. They it just made more sense to rewrite it. I think that's what they're doing. There needs to be a call module that needs to be as fast as Photo Mechanic. If it's not, why not? You're Adobe, and I love Adobe. I want to stay in Lightroom. I love MacFun Luminar. They're not sponsoring me. They're not sponsoring any of us. It's a fun program. It's a great program. We've talked about that before, but I would like to stay in Lightroom. I've got hundreds of thousands of images in there. I know it inside and out. Right. I want to stay in Lightroom if possible. And as soon as they come out with the new version, I will be praising them. I'll still give them crap for having taken so long, but I will be telling everyone shouting from the rooftops about how fast it is. And it better be blazing fast. Well, you know, it's, and you're right. I mean, this is kind of like one of those things where if you're going to do it, it can't be a dot X, like an incremental update. This has to be seen as a major update, like from Lightroom 7 to Lightroom, what are we on? 6 or 7? Seven, 7, right? Who knows? Who knows? Light, it seems like right, Lightroom point one right now. It's so darn yeah. slow. Um, but, you know, Sharky and I were chatting on last night on Messenger. We both agree. The thing is that we know there are better tools. Like, I actually applaud on one, for example. They are putting with their their most recent update. They really invested a lot in their catalog, their browse module for which, Photo Raw. 
for photo for on one photo raw. So you can specify individual folders that are called catalog folders. And what it'll do is you'll ha- take an upfront hit of time. So like it's, it's, it's equivalent to building one to one previews in Lightroom where you take that upfront hit for in theory. So you can get faster performance down the road. Which- so you got to wait, 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 listen to this concept here. So you have to wait minutes or hours for it to build one-to-one previews in Lightroom, come back just so you can have the speed that you should have right away like you have in Photo Mechanic. Right. That's and, ridiculous. And, and you know, that is a, that's a thing. Like, I, I, what you're starting to see with this culling stuff where On One's doing a Photo Mechanic's doing is I think they're just working off of, the, they're better at working off of the JPEG previews uh, enough so, or maybe it's like, I, I don't know what it is, but enough so that you can get quick uh, speeds, previews, you know, sharp previews that you can, you know, thumb up, thumb down or, or give your stars and stuff like that. Capture One, for example, fantastic, powerful, robust, constantly updating product out there. But the time it takes to learn a new platform, also making sure that the transfer of your images from one architecture to another, um, you know, even though they do have, uh, Capture One does have some fidelity in terms of uh, Fidel, get it from episode six. From last uh, episode, I vaguely, yeah. I don't know, it's been a week. So I, I, yes, I remember my, my horrible Fidel Castro jokes. Go ahead. Right. So, but there are, there are some conversions that it'll do, like any, I think, of the um, global adjustments, like, you know, your brightness contrast. But obviously, it won't work with local adjustments. Like if you do a, a adjustment brush, that can't come over. So there are some things, but like, right, Sharky, like it's just the time. Right. Like, well, you you asked me also yesterday, are you going to move to Android? And I said, that's right. I've been seriously that's considering right. like the Samsung Note 8 and you hate Samsung, you know, Google all the way. Right. The Pixel XL, blah, blah, blah. I don't whatever. hate Samsung, but I'm yeah. In terms of like the Google Pixel is the equivalent of the Apple iPhone, meaning it's the the operating system is is made by the manufacturer, even though it's it's as pure to the mothership as you're going to get it. Exactly right. My, and what I said to you is like, listen, I don't have time to go learn. And I'm sure it's fairly easy, but I don't have time to be messing around with the Android operating system or learn Capture One Pro 10, which is I've used it before. It's a great program. I can get to things quicker in Lightroom. I want to stay in Lightroom. You know, but you can't if, get to things quicker. It's just you're it's a it's you know it. <laughs> I know where it's at, but it, no, I'm talking about when it comes to like the pictures and stuff going from photo to photo, like you said, switching modules and making adjustments and such, even cropping just takes too oh, long, yeah. yep. but to learn other operating systems, you know, I was, I was considering, and I've talked about this on my show, you know, getting a spec'd out PC, which would be theoretically cheaper than getting an iMac and or any kind of Mac. But then I have to learn Windows 10 and then I have to learn where things are. And the productivity that you hit is just not worth it. You pay that productivity tax. And so I would like to stay in Lightroom. They're rewriting it or going to otherwise speed it up because they have to and make it as fast as Lightroom Mobile. I mean, come Lightroom Mobile is great. Yeah, that thing's that's, that's, speedy, but they because they they did that from the ground up a few years ago, right? Lightroom's been around for a long time. My buddy is the product manager for Lightroom Mobile. His name is Josh Haftel. He used to be the product manager at Nick. We hate him. No, just kidding. He, <laughs> no, he's a he's a he's the one that got brought me to Google. I mean, I I really owe him a debt, and he's a great guy, and just has a really very persnickety, very kind of understands. He has a good sense of what the user needs and wants, and and we should it, clarify he can't give you any insider information you can ask he will not tell you anything 
Yeah, no, I wouldn't. Uh, don't bother. So we're me. just speculating here. Right. But I'm, what I'm saying is he's a great product manager in terms of making sure he, like I am on the Lightroom mobile beta program. So I get updates through um, test flight, which is Apple's beta kind of uh, delivery mechanism. And every time a new beta comes out, which is quite often, there are notable features. There are the release notes that I assume he writes are really good. And it so in episode six, we were talking about a mobile photography workflow, something when you're using Lightroom, especially it has support for, for DNG and, and it, the camera. If you use Lightroom mobile on your phone or your, your iPad, I guess, when you take a photo, it's a, you have the option of making it a DNG. It's great. But then you go to the desktop and it just is it's really almost inexcusable like the thing that kills me sharky whether whatever this amounts to this could be but it's it's it, at the very least it's a superficial thing that just jabs at me when you go down to the um the process version at the bo- very bottom of the develop on the right under the camera calibration the most current option i think is 2012 so the build of Lightroom is like 2015, whatever, which is weird. But the process about, you know, how they process yes, uh, raw files and stuff is 2012. They need to get rid of that because it just it draws attention unnecessarily. It does. There's three options. There's 2003, 2010 and 2012. We are five years later. It does. You're right. The, the process version controls the things like the, the white points, the black points, the the, the highlights and the, the shadows. It's shameful at this point. It really is. They should be embarrassed with all the money they make. It's embarrassing. They should be leading, not following. And they're following in many ways. It, it's just it's come on. Adobe, it's embarrassing. It really yeah, you, is. You do have a lot of companies that are seeing this where arguably so so one of the things i do i'll i'll give a plug to on one one of the things i like about on one let's just their um catalog their kind of browse module works it works well enough there i know new features are coming but the thing that i like about it is it supports raw their develop module has a lot of the very uh, similar or same controls as uh, Lightroom's basic module. But what I love about it is that I can jump into effects, their effects module, and apply post-processing that I cannot do in Lightroom at all. It's not an option. I would normally still have to output it out of Lightroom into effects. So here, if you're in one, one kind of roof and you have access to your photos, quick access with even, I've tested with the A7R2 files, my large, the currently the camera that puts out the largest files for me. It's great. So you have these companies that are like, they're kind of like they sense blood in the water and they're circling. Unfortunately, as I think you'll agree, it's just simply, you know, Adobe still is the kind of 800 pound gorilla. There's, there's simply, I don't know if it's even possible unless the likes of Apple came back with an aperture version, you know, where they can make any sort of real uh, headway. And you bring up, okay, so yeah, Adobe's always going to be the 800 pound gorilla. As much as we love on one and phase one, you know, capture one, Right. And all those other Mac fun, they're never, sorry guys, never going to be the size of Adobe. And I think everyone's okay with that. Everyone realizes it's just never going to happen. You bring up a good point. I blame Apple a little bit here too. When they completely yes, yes. abandoned mm-hmm. Aperture, mm-hmm. Adobe must have just giggled themselves silly because they probably were like, you know what? We can rest on our laurels a little bit. I'm sure they didn't have a meeting where they're like, you know what, guys, we're going into lazy mode now. Right. We're going to charge them, you know, 10 bucks or 50 bucks a month. And we're just going to we're going to take our time because we can. They didn't do that, but there was no incentive. 
And these little companies nipping at their heels do not, they listen, Adobe is not afraid of you, MacFun. They're not. Not at all. And and, and And MacFun's a great company and Luminar is a great program. A lot of, listen, if you got at this point, because they don't have damn digital asset management, you know, cataloging and everything. At this point, it's not as useful as it's going to be soon when they do have that. But the presets are great. You know, the the filters, they're not heavy handed. They're intelligent. It's enjoyable to use that program. It's not the fastest, but it's faster than Lightroom. You can demonstrate that. But without Apple out there with Aperture and keeping Lightroom on their toes, things really slowed down. So, you know, well, I mean, listen, you know, Aperture, uh, they never really, Apple never released a Windows client of it. And in a way, you know, if, if you were a Mac user that you benefited, I never used Aperture for the same reason that I haven't fully adopted Capture One as an example or on one. I just don't have the time. I didn't have the time. I was so ingrained. And, and that, that kind of, I think, blind loyalty, that's wearing really thin on me. But another interesting thing, and I don't, I want to kind of wrap things up soon. You know how with photography gear, hardware, there is a perception, always a perception issue, meaning like having a big, it used to be having a big burly DSLR with a battery grip and a big lens, you know, especially if it was like a a Canon, it was the white L series lenses. Um, There's a perception of, you know, if I want to be a professional, if I want to be taken seriously as a photographer, I have to use Lightroom and Photoshop. Whereas if, you know, what if, let's just say, what if like, I go to, I don't know, you know, Lucas Gilman or, or who actually I think does use Capture One or like Vincent Laferre or something, someone, an established well-known photographer. And they're like, hey, yeah, I, I use, uh, I use on one, you know, or I use, um, let's say MacFun comes out with their dam. Do you think there's people don't use those things prim- as a primary or let's let's not put Mac Fun. We have let's put Apples to Apples, meaning an app that has damn support. Do you think people just don't do that because Adobe is like the professional's tool? I don't think people care anymore when it comes to that. If you're talking to other photographers, listen, if you're talking to other photographers and you're comparing what program you use and using that as a benchmark for how professional you are, we don't have time to get into those issues. <laughs> You know, no, that's want, just, yeah. you know, so I think that these days, I think it's accepted. I think this is where you're going with this is that it's accepted now that you can use Capture One Pro 10, you can use uh, MacFun Luminar and get the job done. And it's also important because I know someone's going to tweet about this or email us. You can go to lynda.com and other places and you can take a crash course for 10, 20 bucks, whatever, and learn what you need to learn in these various programs. Because most people honestly don't use, just like Photoshop, use very little of the actual program. So you can, people know how to find the Google, right? So you can get to the information. It's just a matter of how much time do you want to devote? And listen, while Lightroom is building your one-to-one previews, why don't you just go learn, take a a Linda course, and then by the time it's done, you know another program, right? Because that's how how long it takes for it to render. And we're kind of making our own arguments for us in terms of why, why don't we do it? Um, and it's, for me, it's, it's not so much the, the basic stuff, like how this is how you create a catalog or anything. For me, there's, there is a lot in Lightroom that I've learned these little things that, that don't appear in any menu. Don't like the option key. I talk constantly about the, the, I call the option key, the unsung modifier for Lightroom when you use, or the alt key for windows people, that option alt key is so powerful 
and it can do so much in Lightroom, but you would never know it unless you just kind of either stumbled upon it or found someone who shared that information who also probably stumbled upon it. You know, that's what I concern myself over is like, I love the ability if I hit the option key while dragging on the masking slider of the sharpening module where it'll show me where the sharpening is applying. It'll show me a mask of that. If you didn't know to press and hold the option or alt key while dragging, you would never see that. So I want to be able to, and it's funny, it's like, it's almost like the way I was about to say is like, I want to find a Lightroom replacement that could do everything Lightroom does, but it's not Lightroom. And that doesn't make sense, you know, like you want listen, you want I think you want what I want. You want Lightroom to be faster and stay inside Lightroom. So for me, like I'll be in uh, I can't remember what the modules are called. I really don't even care. It's whatever one when you first, you know, import your photos and stuff and you're going through your photos. I hit R and that takes you normally to like it takes rotate. you to develop module to like rotate or crop or whatever and that yeah. just gets me into that module quickly instead of having to go mouse up there or whatever there's all these little things that you've become accustomed to the last decade or so or however long lightroom's been and you know like i said why would you want to if you want to learn a new program you can do it if you've got the time and you know, one of the things i want to know is okay so let's say later this month next month or whatever they put us out of our misery finally they come out with you know lightroom x yeah. Everyone does the X thing and it is blazing fast and it has new features. Boy, if it was just blazing fast, that that's would, all you need. That would, that's all I care about at yep. this point because it's already, you know, pretty fully featured. So um, what else can you add to it? Exactly right. You took the you took the words out of my mouth. Is content aware Phil coming to it? Phil. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know Phil. But, anyway, yeah. so it was funnier the first time. I know. Don't make me that's swear. Okay. That's okay. I know, I know. We can't we can't do that. We gotta keep our clean, clean, clean rating here. Clean, clean rating. rating. But um, if they just sped it up unbelievably, that would be just a wonderful thing. So is it too late at this point for Adobe? I argue that it's not. I give them a lot of crap, but I still I use most of the Adobe products because I have to. Having to spend three, four grand on a brand new iMac is ridiculous to be able to to just usability. And it's the same thing with Lightroom. Not everyone's on a fast iMac like us, and it's taking them even longer than it takes us. Yeah, and, that, and, that's, and that's just embarrassing. And they should shame on you, Adobe. Shame on you. Hashtag shame on you, Adobe. Seriously. Yeah. No, but I if, mean, they, listen. if they speed it up, I'll be singing their praises. It's like, when, when's the best time to uh, start investing? Well, probably 20 years ago. When's the second best time? Now. Yeah. I mean, right? uh, I'm, I'm excited. I, I My eyes are at Adobe Max. I'm hoping that they finally give Lightroom its comeuppance. And when's Photoshop, that? That's a good question. Um, I'm going to go to the Google and it tells me that it is October 18th to the 20th. I, I don't, I feel like it might be announced a little bit later here in October. Yeah. I mean, listen, they've, they've already made updates recently to um, Premiere and it just, and then they have their, um, the project Felix, which is their 3d stuff, which is great. That's all well and good. But remember, let's, let's just kind of, let's put things into perspective here. You remember when Adobe first announced, first announced like four or five years ago, Creative Cloud, and they were moving to a subscription model, and who of all the different creative demographics just went oodles for noodles over this? And it was photographers. And how do I know that? Why can I say that? Because they created a photography plan. There's no musician plan. There's no illustrator plan. There's photographer plan, Lightroom and Photoshop. And so it should be clear that photographers, you probably should take them seriously. And listen, I don't think anyone, I hope 
like Tom Hogarty, the the Lightroom desktop product manager, he he has even posted publicly about yes, this you know they're working on these things, but it better come out next month. I mean, I've been saying this for years now. A couple of years, I'm like, I think 2016 is going to be the year when we see a new Lightroom, and it didn't happen. Yeah, and I'm not talking about a minor update, like you know we added, uh, you know, HDR and panorama. Like that's great and everything, but you're talking a rewritten, fast Adobe yes. Lightroom yes. X, whatever it's yes. going to call. Rewritten, right. new architecture. You know, um, you're going to have to. They're going to build an import or you know a transition thing that will take your old catalog to a new architecture. It's basically rip the bandaid off. It's going to hurt up front. Um, you know, some things might not work up front, you might, whatever, but in the long run, it'll work faster. There's no reason why I just spent almost $4,000 on this iMac current gen maxed, and it works just as slowly. I'm talking about Lightroom as my previous version, just like you're saying. It's ridiculous. So, all right. Uh, we beat a dead horse. What's the next topic? Next topic is the state of the industry. So, and trends and. Yeah, like what's such. going on? What do we see? What's going on with now? You know, we're kind of in new announcement season. We're still four months away from, I think, CES in, in January. Yeah. But specifically, if we're talking about photography, I don't think it's it's a surprise to anyone. We have seen this big trend of, I don't know if you want to say abandoning the DSLR for mirrorless, but you know, I know that there are figures, sales figures, like with Best Buy that show that Canon and Nikon sales have plummeted compared to someone like Sony and Fuji and Panasonic have increased, especially Sony. Sony is dominating the mirrorless industry right now. Well, it's not even just Best Buy and here in America, SIPA, which I can never remember, CIPA, it's the Camera and Something Products Association. They put out their numbers every year. And this past year, DSLR sales were flat. In other words, they were unchanged you know, they were, it was a straight line across in past years, they were actually going down. And so Nikon and Canon have mirrorless systems, but they're jokes. The yeah, EOS M system is better recently, but the J1 V1, whatever Nikon one system is just not serious. Not, and I know a lot of people have those, not a lot, a few people have those clearly not a lot of people and they love them and that's great, but it's not on par with my Fujifilm X-T2 with any Sony, even the um, uh, micro four thirds Olympus uh, OMD EM1 Mark II and all that. They're great cameras. And so Canon and Nikon haven't been innovating because there's only so much you can do with a DSLR when you've got the mirror in the way. Yeah. You're limited. When you get rid of that mirror, all of a sudden you can do focus peaking. You can do all kinds of different things. You get to see your exposure. And I've been talking about this on my show forever. You get to see your exposure live. And a lot of people are like, well, I know how to calculate my exposure and I'm, you know, I'm a real photographer. Who cares? You know, who the, cares? Most people are not. Most people yeah. listening to this show are not. And why it just it's stupid to have to take and this isn't DSLR bashing because I still have DSLRs and D, I think DSLRs are wonderful. Well, but the, things are going well. Here's the thing. Hold on. Why take a photo and then chimp? You know, look at the back of your uh, LCD and see it, and then take another photo when you can just cut out the middleman and see it live in your viewfinder. When I was a photojournalist, and I, I argue that there's not a mirrorless body, including the A9, that's quite there yet it's close but not quite up to photojournalism standards lighting Wait, would change let's, let's like crazy talk about that what does that mean 
What does that mean? Not up to photojournalism standards. Speed, you know, operability, being able to get to the controls and have them respond instantly, more robust, etc. I think the A9 is close, and I think that the version two will be even better in that regard. You know, when I was a photojournalist, lighting would change like that. I mean, you sure. could be, you could go into into a, a room, and you know, you're shooting some event, or let's say you're shooting a concert, for instance. That, that's I shot a lot of concerts, a lot of stage uh, events, and such. Uh, everything from high school and college, you know, productions to uh, you know, just regular concerts that came to town. And when the lighting is changing, it how great is it just to flip a dial on your camera and be able to change as the lighting is instead of go, okay, well, I think I should probably do like minus one exposure comp. Compensation click. Oh, that didn't work out. Meanwhile, you're missing, you know, the Rolling Stones or whoever. Just yeah. being able to see your exposure live and it as a teaching tool for new photographers. How wonderful is that? You look in the viewfinder, you go like, okay, my back dial changes my, let's say, your uh, shutter speed or whatever, and the front dial changes the aperture or vice versa, whatever. And okay, I see what it's doing there. Instant learning. Right. And the thing is that a lot of the things that you're talking about with regards to the needs of a photojournalist, for instance, uh, higher frame rate and fast focusing, because that used to be one of the biggest crutches of mirrorless was just a, the, the autofocus speeds were really slow compared to a DSLR. Nikon and Canon arguably have dropped the ball for so long now, for so many years, that the technology has actually come up. Like, speaking of the Sony A9, that camera, you literally can burst off uh, 24 frames, I think, per second. And there's no more where it's a, you know, where you see the photo and then it goes black. and It's called back. shutter blackout. No shutter, shutter blackout. blackout. Thank you. You see it. You can see, you can turn it on and off. There's like a little flick, like a, a white box, or I think you can even change the color and it like flickers to let you know that it is indeed taking a photo. Right. I mean, it not only has uh, mirrorless, these mirrorless cameras close the gap, they are now creating a somewhat of a reverse gap with they are exceeding DSLRs and the things that the DSLRs used to be known for. So, you know, I don't know. Hold on, hold on. It's important to note that there's still way more DSLRs that are sold than mirrorless bodies, but mirrorless, more mirrorless bodies are being sold. If last year, if they sold a million this year, they'll sell a million too versus last year, there might've been a million DSLRs and this year, there'll be a million DSRs sold. So the the growth, if you're a business like Canon and Nikon, you want to sell cameras, right? You don't want to just break even. You want to increase your business. It's like, we want more listeners to the show. You want more. Everyone wants more, more, more. And it's in mirrorless. That's where the innovation is. You've done everything to the DSR that you can pretty much do. All you get is better sensors, better low light capability, etc. You're not getting these. And, and I've also said this on the show too. Sony and the others eventually are going to have to slow down the release cycle between cameras. Right? Yes. What Sony's been doing, and you know this is true, is they were fighting for the hearts and minds, mind share and market share of people out there. So they it, there was no downside for them to come out with new bodies like there's like it was crazy. Now okay, the A6000 was out and then all of a sudden the A6300 and it seemed like months later the A6500. So that was a little weird. But with the fancier cameras, the A7R Mark II, we've been it's we're due for the A7R Mark III any day now. And so they're going to have to slow things down because there's only so much innovating you can do before you're like, well, what do I do now? But right. all the innovation is happening in the mirrorless arena. Those who said mirrorless was a fad, don't worry about it. These were the same people that were like, oh, digital's a fad. I'm, you know, it's all about 35 millimeter film. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, with Sony, what you're seeing is 
Um, and, and Canon, to a degree, much, much slower did this as well, where you'll have, say, a technology that comes in the Sony A9. And now now there's also r- rumors that the, uh, there's going to be an A7 III, not an A7R or an A7S, but the A7 III that will take some of those technologies. Uh, you know, the, the Sony wants to cross-pollinate them across the their different models, which somewhat makes sense. But I agree with you that the cadence, the release cadence, if it's too aggressive, the last thing you want to do is feel like, man, I just bought this thing like six months ago and it's already out of date. Uh, that's not a good feeling for anyone. But yeah, that, that do, doesn't help your base, you know, the people that are buying your cameras. And then, like I said, also, there's only so much you can do. And so you have to slow it down. Yeah. I mean, I, what I would be interested to see is just how much if we're talking about trends, how much intelligence, artificial intelligence will manufacturers like Sony, and, you know, these especially mirrorless manufacturers be willing to invest in? On the mobile side, so like, you know, the iPhones and and Google has their AR kit and stuff. The big thing that you start to see in a lot of these apps, and even if you go to like Luminar, you brought this up in the last episode six, was smartness. So for maybe not so much for a professional photographer, but or maybe who knows, like a photographer where why wouldn't you if I was a new new photographer, let's say I'm a budding photographer and I'm you you just talked about Sharky, the virtues of mirrorless where you see the instant response, the, the effect that those dials have on the exposure. Let's say you're you're taking a photo into the sun and have some intelligence there where the camera provides some sort of feedback or does something where it doesn't just do it for you. I never really understood that the program mode, I mean I understand it, but I don't want to relinquish just control blindly. I want to learn. I want to know. So why wouldn't the camera using intelligence automatically provide guidance to the photographer? That's one thing. But then the other thing is, all right, let's say I shoot, I don't know about you, I shoot RAW plus JPEG. And the reason for that, not just RAW, is if you just shoot JPEG, what happens is the camera creates usually a two megapixel preview. And that's what you see on the back of your screen. And if you're only shooting raw and you're like me, I like to transfer some photos over to my phone just to be able to edit quickly and share. If you only shoot raw, it'll only send that two megapixel JPEG. Whereas if you shoot raw plus JPEG, meaning the camera's creating a full res raw and a full res JPEG, you have the option of sending that full res JPEG to the phone. So my point is here, that's why I shoot raw plus JPEG. JPEG has processing done to it, right, Sharky? I mean, the camera yeah, doing it's ba- something. It's baked in. Something is happening in your camera and it's the engineers back in Japan because that's where all the engineers are, the camera companies, right? They're deciding how that file is processed, what is done to it, and it's all algorithmic and they figure that stuff out. It's all baked into the JPEG versus the raw file, which is the raw file. And there's a JPEG built in. Like like you said, when you're even if you're just shooting raw, what you see on the back LCD is an embedded JPEG in that raw file. You can actually extract it. Yeah. So the point here is we are relinquishing processing control based on the engineers, how they determine. Why can't we use just like, say, Google Photos does? Um, when I was working at Google, the big announcement, probably one of the biggest we announced while I was there, was called Auto Enhance. And yes, photographers freaked out when that first came out. But as the years have gone, you start to see more and more companies doing this where they will use what's called computer vision. They'll analyze, they'll actually analyze the the content of the photo. And they're comparing it to other photos. 
Correct. They're and using, that's in um, cameras too. There's a, in a lot of our cameras, it, when it's metering and stuff, it's comparing it to other photos that have been shot that it fed into their... Yeah, they're looking for sharpness and exposure. But I'm talking about with the JPEG, because right now wh- what you have is you have these picture styles and there are like usually eight of them. There's landscape, vivid and whatever based on... Monochrome. Yeah, but they're just like very, very... It's like... They're heavy handed. They are heavy handed, that's for sure. And they don't necessarily... It's just kind of like this like general blob, you know, for landscape. Like, well, this is generally what a landscape photo edit should look like. Let's up the the temperature and the saturation. Well, yeah, it's um, formulaic. It's not really analyzing. It's, it's not, not analyzing. Th- it's not thinking. It's going, this is what this person probably wants. Because if they're using a picture style, they clearly don't know how to edit. Right. right. That's what they're. Right. That's not me saying it. That's what the camera companies are thinking. If they're going to use this, they don't know what they're doing. Let's kind of make it okay for them, and then they can adjust it from there. Yeah, I'm okay with that in terms of the whole JPEG thing. But why not take it a step further? Use computer vision in terms of to analyze the results. Use um, what's that called? Where what you were just saying? Where it kind of like I mean, right now cameras have Wi-Fi radios built in. They have Bluetooth now built in. Have the option to constantly pair to your phone if you want i mean you probably take a hit on battery life on both devices but use cloud computing and just get all of this information so that when you write the jpeg i would love it if the jpeg just looked the best version of itself not just like a big fat ugly like you said heavy-handed preset applied to it i do see that in terms of technology going our forward. cameras are stupid compared to our phones ridiculous they, and they really are so and much I don't smarter want my- Yeah, I don't want my camera being able to make calls or anything, but it's like when your phone is doing more processing and thinking more and you've got all these apps, that's the thing too. You've got all these apps from all these different companies. You got Snapseed and you got Lightroom Mobile, et cetera. And you got all these people that are thinking about ways to use the processing power in your phone to deal with your your photos that you take. But on your camera, it's whatever they decided probably four or five years ago. All right. And it's ridiculous. So Right, you're absolutely right. Like it's not like they I mean, again, we're speculating, but it's I can't imagine that they're trying to like, how can we improve? How can we innovate? Let's give a manual aperture, shutter speed priority, and video modes, some custom things and let's call it a day. You know, let's up the sensor quality, let's give them four K at sixty frames per second. But really, that's not innovation. Innovation is like I'm not looking at in this case, innovation, real innovation happens, I would say, at the broadest demographic where you can get you can affect the lives of the broadest user and call it what you will there are far more amateur kind of hobbyist entry photographers than there are professionals which is why i think still you know you go to any costco or or you know what are they called warehouse clubs like yeah big box places yeah what you have there are these entry-level canon you know you know eos uh, those digital rebels and nikons and you're going to see a Nikon D7500, the Franken camera, as I call it. You're going to see a lot of the, like you said, the T3Is, T5Is, or whatever. Exactly. You don't see the pro stuff there. But that's where I would say argue where this kind of stuff could really benefit is in the entry levels, get this kind of processing, make a person feel like they're actually, you know, accomplishing something. You know, if it's the professional photographer, like you, you said it just before, you don't want the camera making calls for you and just same thing with me. But it would be great if I do want to take the JPEG over that it actually looks, it looks good where I don't necessarily maybe need to open it up. And that's where Google Photos really does shine where when you, when it ingests a photo from the phone camera or even from, if you send it over from your camera the processing that it does is fantastic um, and i'm not just saying that because i used to work there i genuinely cannot believe how remarkable the engineers are there what they've been able to accomplish 
It's pretty amazing. We're, we're going long this episode, so we got to wrap things up for this. But I want to also say, not just the trend, because people are going to be like, all oh, they talked about is going mirrorless, and and that's the only you know trend they see in the industry. But it's not true. Also, well, this kind of goes along with mirrorless, but you're seeing more manual lenses being used because of adaptation. Because Good you can call, adapt, from, right? From for thank you. It's because you can. I haven't thought about that, right? Well, that's why you have me on the show. I do the thinking. You're just the pretty one, so. exactly. Yeah, which I'm wearing a hat because <laughs> exactly. you made fun of me being bald in the last episode. <laughs> exactly. But uh, <laughs> you're welcome. But it's true because of being mirrorless and the flange distance and all that stuff. You can adapt other lenses from other systems, and you're going to be in manual mode unless. Well, there's a you know. Auto there are some adapters, adapters metabones, yeah. etc. And but they don't work. It's not as as uh, well as native because they have to reverse engineer it. Canon and Nikon aren't giving them the info. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so being able to adapt to manual lenses is definitely part of it. Also, another trend I see too, and we've seen this for a few years now, is Kickstarter as a method of not only getting promo for your and creating buzz for your product, but also for financing a product. You didn't see this before. You see, you know, people go to venture capital and stuff, and now people are putting it out there to the community. So we're seeing more and more people go to Kickstarter and Indiegogo, which as if you listen to my show, you know, those are not stores. You could lose your money. You're backing a project and you could lose thousands or hundreds of dollars that you put up for those things. But look at like, and this goes to innovation. Look at that. I think it's called Arsenal. It's coming out, I think next year. They raised like a million and a half or two million bucks for it a few months back. And it does uh, like all kinds of long exposures and it calculates things. It's like an AI for your camera. There you go. So it's doing exactly what you want to have happen in your camera. Someone else had to come up with it exactly and then you know that's embarrassing to canada nikon come on well yeah i mean you can see i mean if it's successful that's something that i could see either sony just acquiring and cannibalizing it or adopting it but i love the crowdsourcing thing though the thing is i admittedly am very very skeptical whenever i back something i just i'll look right away to see what the expected ship date is and let's say it's may 2018 and i just immediately tack on another year so i don't know we'll see you see any other trends or before we get to what's on your shelf I could go into the mobile side, but I don't want to because I want. I think it, it was good that we kept it to the kind of photography side of things. Um, maybe we'll but, save a lot of that stuff. We'll maybe get a, a more complete list for like the end of the year. We'll talk about like what happened in twenty seventeen. Yeah, what we see happening, uh, you know, in the in the coming year. I love etc. So, what's on your shelf? Unless you have something else for trends, what's on, what's nope. on your shelf? So, what's on my shelf is this is a um, a spirit level cube. And it's, it's a cube. It's perfectly, you know, squared. It's got three spirit levels and it fits into the hot shoe of your camera. So for me, the reason why I have this is... So bye-bye flash. Yeah, you're not using your flash. You're not using um, that new Profoto A1 that's a thousand bucks. Go ahead. No, no. This is basically for me, I've been doing a lot more product photos, not because I'm going into that field, but because for blog posts that I'm doing like reviews and whatnot. And when I have my my camera is... And I'll take a photo of this, of the kind of shoot setup for the show notes but it sits on this really really nice studio stand and when the camera's positioned where it's shooting for instance straight down it is impossible for me to get the lcd to where i can see whether it's level so i just pop this little guy into the hot shoe it's got vertical horizontal and kind of the angle i don't know if that's yaw or pitch but by using this i know for a fact when my camera is level this is a no-name brand you can go on amazon or bnh and search for hot shoe cube level you can probably get one for four or five bucks. They're so cheap and there are tons of them. So this is the need for this has gone away. I used to take this with me outdoors in the landscape ever since camera companies talk about innovation, started building in a level, a digital level. So that was fantastic. 
that took away the need for this. So that's what's on my shelf, Sharky. What about you? You've got that in your tripod and your ball head and stuff like that. I didn't say bald head. You don't have it. <laughs> no. So last episode, my pick was the Black Rapid R-Strap Sport Breathe, which got rid of my most of my neck problems I had as a photojournalist because, you know, I had a lot of heavy gear hanging off my neck. Now, what got rid of most of my back problems was the Think Tank Photo modular belt system. I got it right here. This is my oh, actual one, one that I've had. Those. You're this is one of I've, those. I'm one of those guys with, uh, and I stay near the mic, is huge. It's a belt system. It's a padded belt, and it's about 40 or 50 bucks or so, and it's got loops on it if you want to uh, you know, have the different pouches be locked into place. But you know, you know, otherwise, you will slide them in and out of your way. And so you, know, you see a lot of sports photographers, a lot of photojournalists with these, and it's a mission-specific kind of thing. You're not going to... If you're going to the zoo to shoot, you're probably not going to wear the belt. You're going to look like a huge dork. But when I shoot games i bring that with me and it's just it it, it just it's makes like, sense to have it's like if batman was a photographer that would be his utility belt exactly you're not gonna kill the joker or anything with it you're just you're gonna get to that 7200 right quick though but you know think tank photo always says you know like be ready before the shot or something like that i think that's their motto or something i don't know Let's just say it is. So you've got all these different pouches. You, I'd have one for my seventy to two hundred. I'd have one for uh, a smaller lens. Let's say like a, you know, like, well, like a fourteen to twenty four. Uh, you got another one. It's called R U R U Thirsty, and then you put your uh, like a water bottle in there. There's one for a God, flash. I mean, but how does that not just weigh you down? Well, it can, but it's a, so. What's the alternative to you know go nineteen seventies? No, you're right. With a, with a photo vest and have it all hanging on you, <laughs> yeah. right? And look like you, you look like you're either going to go shoot or you're going fishing. One of the two. Or you're right. the other option right. is to have a camera bag and have that weighing down your shoulder, which is horrible. You no, just, you're, you're absolutely right. So it distributes it along your waist. The more waist area you got, the more you can, more pouches and stuff you can put. And no, it's it's surprisingly light. You're distributing that weight, and they also make this. And you know, listen, if you want to really look like a photo nerd, they make these harnesses that attach to that, like suspenders that go over your. That's uh, what I was wondering. Is like, how does it not bring your pants down? Seriously, well, <laughs> you see. Okay, so I keep it fairly tight around me, like an actual belt. So it's like over you know where my belt would be a lot of photographers kind of keep it they kind of i don't know it's like super like like they're rap stars or something like that and they got it like you know got oh their pants God. sagging right they're oh sagging they keep it kind of sagging a little bit like their pants and it's kind of hanging off them and i just that doesn't make sense because you, you're wrong move and that thing's going straight down like your pants is falling down but uh no i keep it fairly tight and then when i need to get to stuff i, I can and then i can move it out of the way if you're moving through a crowd or something you can move all the pouches you know like in front of you whatever the buckle is supposed supposed to be behind you but i learned that the wrong way if you're in a crowd someone will unbuckle that and then there goes your belt so i always keep the buckle part in the front the snap they're great they're a great company they're not yes. paying me to say that nope. i've Think spent Tank is hundreds if not thousands with them and i just love their stuff and deanne fitzmorris pulitzer prize winning photojournalist she and her husband and a bunch of i think two or three other bag makers from another company can't remember which teamed up and you know decade decade and a half or so ago created think tank photo and you've got all these great products so hit the show notes you know hit the, the icon for this in, in your podcatcher and it'll flip around i think and then you can click the links and and check this stuff out so it's the modular belt system it's about 40 or 50 
50 bucks or so. Totally worth it. It's going to last for many, many, many years. You know, this is top notch stuff. Each pouch is like 20, 30, 40 bucks and totally worth it. And you're going to buy whatever you're going to need. Don't buy everything. They've got kits or a couple hundred bucks or so. Think about what you need. Need one for a flash, get one for the flash, etc. So that's what's on my shelf or I should say on my waistline. Excellent. All right, Sharky. Another episode in the can. Seven done. Great show, would you say? A great show, I would say, if I do say so myself. <laughs> and we do. <laughs> and we do. <laughs> All right, let's clap it out. Let's clap it out. Count it down. All right, here we go. One, two. Yeah. All right. Love you, brother. Right back at you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. So how about we do this again in the next episode? Yeah, let's do that. 